Hey, you are listening to the Double E Podcast with your host, Ed Davis, and my uh, co-host today, Shishi. Uh, she was on uh, New Music Tuesday. If you didn't catch it, you can go back and listen to it on the Double E Podcast on iTunes and Android apps. Um, today, I took off work to make time for this lady. She is remarkable. She is an inspirational speaker, a, a philanthropist, family dynamics coach. You've seen her on Atlanta Live TV 57, A Woman's Place, uh, Victorious Living. She's shared the panel with such esteems as Judge Greg Mathis, spoke at the 100 Black Women Incorporated. Uh, she also was with Judge Penny Brown at the 2014 Sister Talk. Uh, recently, she is a best-selling author of the book Inmate 1142980, the Desiree Lee story, a woman who was given lemonade or given lemons and didn't turn it to lemonade. She turned it into a lemon meringue pie. Please welcome Desiree Lee. <laughs> How Thank you, you doing, so Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, you, you, you have. You've taken, I mean, the, the worst that life, well, not the worst that life could give you, but you've taken a very bad situation and just totally flipped it. And it's, it's a remarkable story, and I wanted my listeners to hear. Um, and, and we're going to talk about what you're doing <laughs> At the end, we're going to talk about what you're doing to pass it on, okay, um, uh, with your GoFund account, okay? Absolutely. I'm excited. See. Now, anyone that hasn't uh, heard about this book, uh, don't like reading, uh, you need to change because this is a remarkable book. Inmate 1142980, the Desiree Lee story, from inmate to inspiration. Um, now, before we start talking about the inmate part, we're going to go back into Desiree's life a little. We're going to start with your uh, senior year in high school. What was that like for you? Well, I want your listeners to know because somebody might be listening and might feel like the odds work them. They might feel like they can't see past the difficulty of the struggle that they might see right in front of them. And sometimes it's hard to see past that because, you know, your best is right in front of that, the right in front of you, or even the limitations. It might feel like they have all these limitations against them. But what my story uh, entails and what I want to share with them is that, you know, if you can't find a job, create one. If you have lemons, turn it into a lemon eye. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we have to look at it like that. Well, at least I have lemons. What can I do with the lemons? What can I do with the struggle? And just because the bell does not mean they are a failure, and they might be defeated, and might don't accept that as their reality. But in high school, I had a 3.8 GPA. I had two basketball scholarships. On my way to college, a mother, she was that type of mother that said, you know, if it doesn't have kids on that music, don't play it in my house. She was that type of mother that says, you know what, with education, you have the best chance to win. She was that mother that said, you know what, I want you to have a better future than my own, so let's do the best that I can as your mother to ensure that. 
took me to church every single day. But what was important to me at 17 years old was sitting in with my friends. <laughs> but what that wasn't important. Education, yeah, I had good grades. But what she was saying and what she was trying to show me uh, or relate to me wasn't important. I wanted to be cool, man. I wanted to hang out with my friends. I wanted to skip school. I wanted to freak weed because that's what kids and what I saw on TV, what I heard on music, what was cool. And good grades was cool at that time. I was picked on at school. That wasn't cool. You know what I mean? Because of of what I what I thought was you know what was cool. However, um, when I graduated from high school, going from the highest highs of my life, and all my family was excited and proud. My mother was just very so proud of me, Desiree. I'm so proud of you. You did it. You accomplished some things. But what they didn't know was the friends that I had around me, and and they didn't accept it at school. So I needed to have some money before I went into college. To pay my mother some rent before I went to college, and that was stressful for me at 17 years old because I never had a job. I never had a job at you know during high school because grades going to school was my job. Mm-hmm. When I got good grades, I got a hundred dollars for every A. That was my job. So at 17, I was stressful because I'm like, okay, well, I thought I was supposed to get good grades, go to college, and didn't get my life together, didn't get a career, didn't get a job. So then I went to my boyfriend, who wasn't of the same. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, wasn't of the same background as I. And what he knew the quickest way to get money was his way and how he saw life. And so I went to him and said, hey, look, you know, I need the money. You know, I'm not sure on how to go about this. And he said, well, you have the car, you know, and I'll, I'll do this. But I want you to go to college. I want you to go to school. And I said, not so much for me. It's not right to me. Well, you know, he's going to, you know, take the risk and I can still go to college and it's not right. Well, I fully found out that two weeks after high school, I found myself on the other side of the law. And, and because of that, I was charged with 11 counts of armed robbery and 5 counts of aggravated assault. And at 17 years old, I was facing 135 years in prison. And just to even try to fathom that, I probably would have been 152 years old before I was released from prison. And I never even busy though not one time in my life before at 17 years old being raised by your family your parents that told you everything against what they're doing right now being convicted with those charges when it gets that and I was scared and how I wish I would have listened to my mother and took heed to my warning before my destruction came and what I thought my, my mother was my enemy and I thought she was against me just didn't want me to have fun and stuff the truth of the matter is is that we were on the same team and I don't think any parent that might be listening to this, to this podcast right now wants their child to go to prison. See. But as teenagers, I encourage your listeners, you know, to uh, to have not necessarily just a relationship with them, but maybe an avenue or outlet to where their child feels safe enough to where they can come to you or come to someone to uh, tell them what they're going through and what they're feeling. Exactly. Now... 11 uh, felony robberies. How nervous were you the first time? I mean, and, and you were just the driver, right? Yes, I was just the driver of the car. So, because based off of the, uh, I, w- I would call them lies now, but at the time, my ex boyfriend told me, he said, you know what, Desiree, you, we won't get caught. And I said, <laughs> I believe so. He said, Desiree, if we do get caught, I'll take all the time. And I believe them. So for me, at 17, those risks were very, very low. 
because I believed what he said. And so I was, I was scared. I was nervous and I was scared. But at the same time, I felt a sense of, uh, I guess you could say being safe because of the based off of the lies that he told me. You know what I mean? Right. So um, with that, yeah, I knew the risk that I was taking. However, I didn't think there were high risks because he was saying that, you know, you won't go to jail. You know, you make the great. You know, you have to prevent have a good family, you know, I'll take all the risk. This is what we do, this is what I see. And that's what happened. Now, a lot of our today's youth are in that same predicament, you know, where they, they're, of uh, course, yo, you know, you don't have a record. Uh, they're going to take it easy on you and all this. Uh, once you were arrested, uh, did did he stay by your side? Did he leave? Uh, and And did your friends come visit or was it just your mom? No, and that's what I tell, you know, students that I speak to all the time. I travel nationwide, you know, forbidding other teenagers from going to prison, encourage those who might feel like they're in a dark place and just don't show people that nothing is impossible. But it, no, he he wasn't there because he was arrested as well. He was arrested too as well for committing these crimes. And, you know, and even on top of that, no, my friends weren't there. And the, the same person that I was disrespecting. The same person that I was, you know, trusting and I thought was my enemy. The same person that, you know, I didn't, you know, I just wanted me to have a hard life and so forth and so forth. But the same person that was the first person that was there when I got arrested. The first person that was there when I got to prison. The first person that was there on every visitation that I had. And the first person that was there when I was released from prison. The first person there that was there to help me along the way become the successful person I am right now today. And so what I encourage, you know, our kids and our young people, not to disrespect the person that's trying to help you. Literally, you guys are on the same team. I don't think any parent wants their child to live with them until they're 40 years old. <laughs> and the teenager, the teenager is saying, I want to get out the house and I'm grown. I don't want to be under my parents' rules anymore. Well, you guys both want the same thing. But what kind of parent would they be by just throwing you out there in the woods and say, yeah, you got it, you got it, when they know that you're not fully equipped to handle that. I've never seen, I tell kids all the time, Ed, I say, you know, it's just like, you know, the NFL. You have the coach and you have the teammates. And sometimes we don't understand why the coach is telling you to run that extra lap to do the play over again, even when you got it right. I mean, I got my grades right, but things my mom kept telling me to do it over again and do it again and make sure you get it perfect or make sure you get it right at the best of your ability. But I've never seen a football team or an NFL team go straight to the Super Bowl. The coach wants the Super Bowl, the teammates want the Super Bowl race. But I've never seen a team go to the Super Bowl without playing the game during the season. <laughs> you guys are on the same team. And for teenagers, you got to go through that season. The parents want you to go through that and have to go through that being fully equipped. So when you get to the Super Bowl, you have a greater chance of winning the race. Exactly. Now, now, did, now you're sitting in jail, and uh, did you have a uh, court-appointed attorney, or did you have your own? No, my mom, um, they do have court-appointed attorneys there. However, my mom, when I was in the interrogation room, when I initially got arrested with the and everything for 18 hours sitting there, 
Wow. Um, what I wasn't aware of is that my mom had two attorneys down at the bottom of the store waiting for me to say I need my attorney. Um, and that's what I really appreciated, even though she was getting on me about different things and decisions I was making, the friends that I was keeping, et cetera, et cetera. My mother was the down chick, you know, and I was so much trying to be the down chick with my friends or thinking my friends were down for me. But come to find out my mother was there every step of the way. So, no, I had two um, paid attorneys okay. um, um, that she had at the time of my arrest. Then, uh, so now uh, you're sitting in the county and it's um, time to go in front of the judge for sentencing. Uh, before you before you tell us about that and that experience, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back with Inmate to Inspiration, the Desiree Lee story. So I saw this book on Amazon.com, The Desiree Lee Story, Inmate 1142980. And I read the reviews and I had to purchase my own copy. It's just such an inspirational story. A high school student on her way to college in pursuit of the American dream. Two weeks after graduation, her dream was no longer an option. Visit www.amazon.com and purchase your copy today. Uh, okay, Des, you still with us? Yes. Okay. Alrighty. Uh, so now you are in front of the judge, um, and did they just? I mean, so so let's let's kind of you wake up that morning. You know you're going to be sentenced. Uh, you know your your fate almost. So, did they let you wear whatever you wanted to wear in front of the judge? Or tell tell the youth what they could expect when they go in front of the judge. Well, um, the thing about it is, I was denied bond um, because they said I was a flight risk and I had family in other cities in different countries. So, I was sitting in the county jail the entire time I was waiting to get sentenced. Wow. And so in the midst of that, no, they did not have, uh, I wasn't allowed to wear my own clothes when I went in front of the judge. I was in a county uniform, okay? I was the inmate uh, waiting to be sentenced in front of the judge. Now, what I want these kids to know is in, in the state of Georgia, is one of the five states that can charge a juvenile as an adult, okay? So people would think, some kids that I talk to, they think, oh, I'm only 14 years old. If I, if I do what that's right did, uh, I won't get that much time, or, you know, I'll be, uh, won't be finished, uh harshly. Well, that's not true. Uh, there's five states out of the whole country that will charge you as if you're an adult. The second thing is, for one, on robbery is a minimum of 10 years, okay? I had 11 of them, so that's 11, uh, 100 and, um, that's 135 years plus the aggravated assault. Right. So when I went in front of her, I was planning to plea out because I said, you know what? I'd rather have 100, I mean, I'd rather have 10 years or 7 years in prison 
been a husband in 35 years. So no, I did not take you trial um, because I knew I was guilty. But when I went in front of the judge about the three out seven years, the first seven years, she said, you know what? Uh, I don't know what it is about you. And she started writing. She said, hey, look, I can't give you the First Offenders Act. I can't give you a slap on a wrist. I can't give you probation because you knew what you were doing the first time, the second time, the last time. But sometimes it's being said, oh, I won't get caught. Well, I didn't get caught the first time. I didn't get caught the second time. I didn't get caught until the 11th time. But you will get caught. And so when I went in front of her, she sentenced me to 10 years or four years of prison. And that's what happened when I stood in front of the judge and accepted responsibility that, yes, I committed this crime, I made a horrible decision, and now I'm being sentenced to 10 years or four. And, and the, the weird way that you got caught uh, was amazing to me. And for those that want to know how she got caught, uh, it's all in M8 114 the Desiree Lee story. Get the book on Amazon.com, okay? And you can find out exactly how um, she got caught. Um, so now you are sentenced um, and do you go straight to prison? Do they... What's the process in the end of that? Oh, yeah. You go straight to prison, Ed. Oh. Once you get your time, once they give you the time, you go straight to prison. There's no buffer time or there was no time after I got sentenced to sign the papers to pleaded guilty. There was no time to say bye to my family. It takes you straight from the courthouse, puts you right back in jail, but the next thing you know, you don't know the day. They don't see you the day. You won't. You know, try to have no escape plan. But yeah, they, they put you straight into the jail, you know, and take you straight to prison. And that's when you begin your time. And once you're diagnostic, which is they kind of brainwash you, they kind of get you out of that free thinking mode, meaning that you're not free anymore. And, and then you go through a series of uh, marches and tents. And it is true, you do brush, you do clean clean the floors and the bathrooms and the showers with a toothbrush. It is true. You do have to shine and wax your, your boots. It is true that you have to eat at a certain time. They wake you at a certain time. It's not. It's worse than boot camp. It's worse than boot camp. And to the kids that might be listening to, this, to, to, the, to this podcast or to the parents that might want their kids to listen to this podcast, I tell children all the time. I say, you want to get there straight and think you can handle it. I mean, if I saw scared straight, I would have thought I can handle it. I said, but the difference between scared straight and a real prison experience, going into prison and going into the jail, the difference is that the inmates can touch you. The difference is, is that you're in there with people who have life sentences and have nothing to lose. The difference is that you're in there with murderers, rapists, rapists, and then you can think of the worst crime possible. The people you see on TV is now your bucket. So you get shot with. I don't want these kids to think it's only a bodily crime that goes to prison. I had a bunkmate that stole her parents' car and went to jail for identity theft because she went to jail for stealing, charging her own parents' car. And she was in the same prison as somebody who killed someone. So you have to be really mindful of the decisions you make in the company you keep as a teenager, even as an adult. 
You know, because you can find yourself in that same situation. They didn't consider me, Ed, as an at-risk teen. Why didn't they say Desiree Lee was an at-risk teen? Because I had a 3.8 GPA and two basketball scholarships. Right. I mean, I thought something like this wouldn't happen to me, Ed. But guess what? It did. And there's so many other kids like myself that think it won't happen. I mean, there's so many parents, like my parents, that, oh, this will never happen to my trouble and he had to do three weekends in the county and he told me I mean and this is just county he said he had to be there at Friday at 5 he got out Sunday at 5 he said he would get off work at 3 o'clock he would eat non-stop for like two hours go into the county and he would fast till he got out and then he would go eat again. He said, just, he said, it was, and that was just the county. So I can't even imagine what, you know, prison life would be like. I mean, he said all he did was just stay in his cell. And, you know, he didn't want to get out or nothing. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Can you imagine seven days a week at 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm talking about seven days a week, 24 hours a day for four years. Four long years. And just because you go to prison doesn't mean you're going to make it out. I don't care if you're going in for a weekend. That does not mean you're going to make it out. I don't care if you're going in there for a week, a day, a year, a month, 50 days, 90 days. It, it does not guarantee that you're, everybody who goes in, not everybody makes it out. And I see people die. They didn't even get a chance to make it out. They didn't even get a get an opportunity to touch the second can. Now, I also read where a, uh, it was in California, an inmate was doing 30 days, uh, knew he would be out in 30 days, and the lifers knew this as well, so they picked on him, and when he got into a fight with one of them to defend himself, they gave him even more time. Did stuff like exactly. that, and that stuff happened a lot where you were at as well? Absolutely. See. Absolutely. You See. never tell no one when you're when you're getting out. You never even get excited if that's the day that you're about to get out. Oh, my God, thank you, Lord, I'm about to get out of this place. No, you don't. Because the jealousy, that's their home, and they can't get out. And so what they do, they conspire, okay, well, if I'm in here, you're going to have to be in here, too. If I'm miserable, you're miserable, too. If this is my life, this is your life, too. What makes you any different than me? Because you committed a crime, I committed a crime. I didn't have a good attorney, you did. Right. You're not getting out of here. There's a story, I mean, here in, in Atlanta, I was in a woman's prison. They had to switch the men in the woman's prison because of this young boy who was only 16 years old was about to go home. They did some heinous crimes to him 
closely to Sophagus, uh while they were still doing these crimes, and you can imagine what they were doing to him, and he was dead, and they were still doing this to him, and they didn't know he was dead. That same day, his mom went to the jail, went to the prison, to pick him up from prison. And the guards had to come to her and tell her, I'm sorry, ma'am, your son died today. Wow. Not everybody makes it out. Wow. And I'm quite sure there's a parent that doesn't want their child to go through that. But I'm telling you what, it's not like TV. We look at prison shows, we look at movies, and thinking that this is the life, thinking like, oh, I can handle that, this is what I would do in that situation. You cannot, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no way you can prepare for this type of experience. The only way you can prepare is to make good decisions. And avoid it, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, because you had a really good support staff, uh, as far as when you were uh, incarcerated, um, your brother told you the story of the elephant, uh, mm-hmm. which which helped you get through a, a lot of bad times. And if you would like to hear the story of the elephant, get the book, Inmate, 114-2980, The Desiree Lee Story, Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble's, it's a bestseller, so you can get it anywhere. I got it on my Kindle. Um, so, um, now, how did the inmates treat you because you had people coming to see you constantly? Uh, was the ones that also had a good support staff nice to you and those that didn't kind of target you? Yeah, of course. You know, when you try to... Uh when you get commissary, meaning that when you get chips or soap or deodorant um, and different things like that from the store once a week um, in there, of course. I mean, you'll be lucky if you even make it back to your cell with all of your stuff in your bag. However, uh, you know, I'm just so grateful that God kept me in the midst of going through something like this because I will always have a bug mate, even if they have a life sister or not. I'll always uh, exist exonerate love over them and meaning by that if my mom gave me $25 that week I would give my bug mate $5 what is it that you need from the store because in that way you know it was like more so uh, I, I'm not going to take from her because you know she's showing love now keep in mind I wasn't you know wasn't by force it was just by I, we're in the same position and I understand what we're going through and some families do forget about them, you know, uh, while they're in, in prison. But no, I wasn't necessarily uh, targeted per se. But yeah, there were women that were trying to, you know, try me and different things like that. And I had to have a prison mentality in order to survive the time. So I had to, and that's what people mean by do the time and don't let the time to you. It's when you kind of forget about having support and really having a prison mentality in order to survive while you're while you're there. Right. Now you're you're doing the four years, you're you're doing great. Um it's uh let's say three months to your release date. Okay. So you got all this excitement that you're about to be free, you're about to pick up where you left off but you can't show it. How difficult was that? Oh, man, Ed, this is the part that they should have told us about 
you know, uh, in the movies that told us about it in the music, the truth is about uh, going to prison. It's not just the hardships that we face in prison. It's really life after prison. But because of that, you know, I, I thought, oh, you know what I said? You know what? I'm never coming back to this place. You can't get me to steal nothing or commit a crime. <laughs> I'm not trying to come back to this place at all. I learned my lesson. I'm going to get my life back together. And this is it. Oftentimes, even people, even parents or adults are watching or listening to this right now. They might say, you know what? I've been through some stuff. I've been homeless before. I've been bankrupt before. I lost it all before. I'm not going back to this place anymore. I'm getting my life back together. And even though we might have a plan, we might say, you know what? I'm going to get a job. I'm going to save my money and get my credit together. I'm going to get a house. I'm not going to take my family through this crap anymore. They might be getting off the drugs. They say, you know what? I'm not going to you know, do drugs anymore because I see how it's not just hurting me and hurting somebody else. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. And then we face these limitations. Okay. I was let's, faced with limitations. Let's, 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 let's slow down, Desiree. Okay, okay, because I don't want to get into that yet, okay? Uh, I want to do that as soon as we get back from this break. So right now, you are ready to get out of prison. You know that because of your grades and all this, life is going to pick up right where it left off. And now we're going to find out what life is like after prison, right after this break. Desiree Lee story, inmate 1142980. And I read the reviews and I had to purchase my own copy. It's just such an inspirational story. A high school student on her way to college in pursuit of the American dream. Two weeks after graduation, her dream was no longer an option. Visit www.amazon.com and purchase your copy today. Okay, Desiree? Yes. All right. So now uh, you're released, okay? Uh, you're ready to pick up where you left off, <clears throat> all right? Uh, what happened once you got out back into the real world? Oh, my gosh, yeah, the real world. And even a lot of times we are, we are in the present, we are in the world, we are in the real world, we're not in prison. But yeah, it seems like, you know, life starts to get real. What do we mean by that? The limitations that we face, the hardships, the struggles that we see right in front of us every single time. And what I was facing was, Ed, was it wasn't just a, a job that I could not get. It's like 56 jobs that require a state license. And what I didn't realize was in order to get your state license, they all do background checks. What? Are you serious, Ed? And then I started to go back to school. I said, you know what? Well, you know, I, I didn't want to give up. I said, you know what? I'm not going to commit another crime. You know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to school and get my life back together. Ooh, excuse me. Have my plan and stuff together and everything. I found out that I'm naturally does background check. I found out that colleges does, does background check. And in order for me to go to school, I have to pay out of my own pocket in order to go to school. In order for me to pay out of my own pocket, I need what? A job. <laughs> so I couldn't get a job because I did background check that. So then I said, you know what? Well, let me get my own place to stay. Let me try to get myself together. My family said, okay, I will help get started, Desiree. But when I went to go to the apartment complex, one after one after another after another after another, you have to do an application. And on that application, they ask you, have you ever been convicted of a crime or a felony within the past seven years? 
Well, I quickly found out that they do background checks to get an apartment. Are you serious, Ed? So where am I supposed to live, Ed, in order to stay on probation? In order to stay on probation, you need to have a job. You need to have a place to stay. Well, I couldn't do that either. So what am I supposed to do with my life? And then I quickly found out that everything that I was trying to do, I said, okay, well, let me try to do entrepreneurship. Well, that felt because I didn't have a job in order to invest in myself either. So I was faced with less than six years that I went through this. Trying yeah. after another because I just refused to go back to that place. What do I do? And I did not realize, they don't tell you this from music and, 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 and movies, they don't tell you about the convicted felon part. Exactly. They don't tell you about that. And in the midst of that, I was still on probation. So you need to tell me, I was released from in 2006. I didn't get off probation until 2012. Do you mean to tell me seven years after I was released from prison, then I'm able to get an apartment, then I'm able to get a job? Seven plus 2012 is 2019. What year are we in right now, Ed? <laughs> yeah. 2015. Do you mean to tell me when I'm close to 40 years old and I made this decision at 17 years old? That's when I'll be able to get, that's when I'll be, be, be reprimanded? and be accepted in society and get just to get a, a job at McDonald's? Just to get an apartment down the street? Are you serious? So I fell into this really deep depression because everyone that I was asking for help, nobody helped. Nobody mm -hmm. knew how to help me because they didn't go through that experience. No one could see past my limitations because all their answers were get a job. And I'm like, I can't get a job. And then it was like, well, how can't you get a job? You know, and it was a lot. It was so depressing. I was in a hell in a deep dark place. I started blaming myself for the decisions that I made at 17. I started blaming everyone else. Maybe if my mom would have talked to me more, I wouldn't be here. I started playing the name game with people because I didn't want to accept uh, the fact that it was my decision. And I was trying to figure out how, did, how do I get out of this mess? I was depressed. I was so depressed because I saw no option. I mean, somebody listening to this right now is a does. How in the world did you make it? Because what you're telling me right now in your dark place and the limiting situations that you see right in front of you, I don't see any options either. I don't even I can't even give you any other suggestion on how to make it out of something like that. How in the world did you make it out of that? Because I was like, you know what? I'm 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 about to kill myself because that's the only option that I saw. I'm tired of being tired. And oftentimes exactly. that we go through stuff. We go through limitations, and we get tired. You get tired of going through. You get tired of the nose. You get tired of running into the brick wall. You get tired of trying, and nobody's giving you a chance. You get tired. You get tired, and I was tired. <laughs> Until a lady believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. Wow. Now, you're going through all this. It had to be not only depressing knowing that they're forcing you to fill out applications where you know as soon as they see uh, you've been convicted for a felon, the papers pour up and they're throwing it away. Um, and then to have your PO telling you you need to get a job, uh, like you're not out there helping, uh, or not out there trying. Uh, so how did this lady come to your aid? What did she do that gave you inspiration to not kill yourself. And I'm so glad you didn't because this world needed you. 
You know what, Ed? You know, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell a lot of us to go through stuff, and it's not even for us. Sometimes we go through things that prevent somebody else from experiencing the same hardship. You know, encouraging those who might be in the midst of, you know, wanting to commit suicide, wanting to say, you know what, Ed, I don't see any more options either. You know what I mean? So yeah. sometimes we, we can't be selfish while we're going through. Um, but I do want to share on what she did for me. It's when she believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. She was a stranger at a nail salon that just simply said hello. So when you're going into a gas station, when you're going into a, you might be sitting in the, in the doctor's office waiting, and we, we tend to not speak to the person sitting next to us. I want to encourage you to say hello because you never know what a person might be going through right next to you. You might not know that they're planning to commit suicide that night. You might not know that a simple hello might stop them from making a, 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 crucial, a crucial decision. And because she said, you know what? Here's the mustard seeds, and I want and I want your audience to get the book so they can know more in depth on what happened and what transpired on that moment. Right. But she gave me some mustard seeds, and she reminded me of how much faith, how much how much I needed just to believe beyond my experiences. And when I saw the mustard seed in my hand, that's when faith and believing became tangible. Because just like your listeners are saying now, that's the way I heard people told me to pray before. I've people praying for me all the time. You know, and I, it's not like I'm, you think I'm not believing that prayer. I'm trying to believe, too. I mean, hell, I, I did the same thing. So I feel you on that. I, I really understand and, and can definitely relate to you or listening to this thing as why I did that. Well, I did that too. And so when she believed in me and said, that's all you need, and told me to speak to my mountains, because sometimes your mountains, will, your things that you're going through will stack up so high they'll become your mountains, then that's when I was able to see past what I really saw. And because of that, I'm so glad that she poured into me, because if I would have killed myself that day, I think about it all the time, Ed, when I speak to young people. I think about it every single time when a young person comes to me and says, thank you, Desiree, because I, you know, my voice told me the same thing. Thank you, Desiree. A parent comes to me, thank you, Desiree, because my child was really going bad through depression. Thank you, Desiree. A parent comes to me, thank you, Desiree, because now I know how to talk to my child and I didn't know how. Thank you, Desiree. You know, when a young man comes to me and says, Desiree, I don't want to go to jail. I mean, all I see is hustling and bustling around my city. Can you tell me a different way that I can make income because I don't want to go through that. That's what it means so much, much so much to me and makes what I went through worse going through what I worked worse through. I encourage your audience right now. I'll let you guys know if you might feel like you're in a dark place, you're not going through by yourself. The one time I thought I was going through alone, but I want you to know that you're not by yourself. The second thing is, is don't be so, uh, you know, make sure you say hello to the person next to you because you never know what they might be going through. And we need to start believing again, believing in each other, uplifting, speak life, not death, uplift and not tear down each other because we don't know what they're going through. Because if I killed myself on that day, three years from that day, three years from that day that I sit down at that coffee shop with that lady, how many lives or souls, how many dreams and visions would have been dead with me? That how many people so would have died and would have been, you know, fucked up by the birds with me. So yes, it's not about you, but it's about the thousands of people that might live, that can live and say, you know what, if she made it, I was, I'm going through the state, if she made it, I can do it too. 
a young person saying, well, she overcame, I can do it too. How many kids would have been going to prison? How many lives would have been in prison for life sentences in prison making careless decisions if I would have killed myself today? So bottom line, it's not about you. And I encourage you guys to get a book and sponsor a book for a teenager because that's what it's about. It's power in our experience. Don't forget the power and authority that we have is experience, man. Right. It's an experience. So, so what made you decide to write the Desiree Lee story? Because I remember what it felt like to be alone. I still remember to this day. You know, some people go through stuff and they, you know, they become successful, or some people go through stuff and they try to suppress what they went through and say, you know, that's not my life no more. This is what I'm going to focus on. But not me. Not me. I remember when I asked people for help and no one helped me. I remember on those days that I cried and laid out on the floor, my daughter's laying next to me, rubbing me on my back. I remember those days when I was hungry and couldn't get food stamps. I remember all those days that people would say, oh, you know, you're never going to be nothing. I remember those days that say, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am, but we can't hire you. I remember what it felt like. Not just remember what happened, but I remember the pain that I felt. I remember the hurt that I felt. I remember that. And yeah. I don't want anyone else to feel that way. I felt alone. What? I felt alone. And that's what inspired me to write this book. Because if I can't come to your city, you can get this book. You can reference the book. You can go back to the book. And in this book, I just don't tell you my story. I tell you how I made it out. I read so many self-help books before. So much stuff that people will tell you what to do, but they don't tell you how to do it. And in this book, I tell you how I made it out. I tell you what I did to make it out, what I did to see past my limitations, what I did every step of the way, because I thought I was the only person going through this. And so I tell people how I, not only my story, but how did you make it out, Desiree? And it's in that book. They can go to Amazon.com to find out how they just can make it and overcome life's more physical barriers. See? And I read the book, and I thought it was, like, great, wonderful. Um, and it, it is definitely a second or third read. I mean, each time that you go through and you read it, you, you can find different things. You can be inspired by different parts of it. Um, you know, and I, I've always said saying it is when you say it, it's a goal. But once you write it down, then it becomes a vision. Okay, uh, I love your faith, and I was recently um, Ray Lewis said this about the Bible, and after he said it, it stuck with me, and and I I tell anybody that'll listen that the Bible is only basic information before leaving Earth. Okay, uh, just to get you started, your basic information before leaving Earth Bible. And I just thought that was was simple, but it meant a lot. Uh, now, you being a, a felon, um, not being able to get a good job, you write this book, but you don't have any way to get it out there and promote it. We're going to take a break and find out exactly how... You could follow in Desiree's footsteps and and start promoting and start getting your message out right after this. 
So I saw this book on Amazon.com, The Desiree Lee Story, Inmate 1142980. And I read the reviews and I had to purchase my own copy. It's just such an inspirational story. A high school student on her way to college in pursuit of the American dream. Two weeks after graduation, her dream was no longer an option. Visit www.amazon.com and purchase your copy today. Okay, Desiree? Yes. Okay, you got this book, you done wrote it, you know it can help people. What's the next step? I mean, how, how, did, you, how did you go from there to being a best-selling author? This is the thing. What what she did for me after, you know, people can read in the book and find more about what this lady did to me when she believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself. She changed my perception on how I look at my daunting situation being a convicted felon. No longer did I look at being a convicted felon as, uh, as my pup being half free, but I looked at it as being half full. And then I began to see the resources that were right in front of me the whole entire time that I thought I was so depressed. The time that, you know, I couldn't see anything, she helped me see it. And so, you might not be able to get a job. You might say, Desiree, I'm trying to find a job. You might not be able to get but you're trying to get yourself on your feet. But you can't find a job, create one. You know what? And it's like the very thing that I tried to hide as, I tried to get that box on application. I tried to not tell people, you know, where I was before the last four years and why they haven't seen me. I tried to hide, but the very thing that I tried to hide is the very thing that accelerated me towards my purpose. So you might try to hide the fact that you went through something, but that might be the very thing that God wants to use to help other people overcome. You don't know what other people have been praying for or what they might be going through and just see that being that willing vessel. But yes, I, I use, utilize the resources I had right in front of me. I didn't have $10,000. I didn't have a team of investors. I didn't even know how to start. But when I realized I had a computer right in front of me, I had some tools like my cup. I still had water. It was half full. <laughs> I still had water in the cup, you know. And I utilized that water to uh, you know, to pour in, to cultivate the seed and the purpose that God has planted in my spirit. So I, I recommend you might not be flat on your back, but you might still have a car. You might still, you might not have a car, but you can use Uber. You might not have Uber, but you can get on the bus. Let's start looking outside the box of what we can do in order to accommodate or to produce or to create the success. You might have failed, but that does not mean you're a failure. You know, you might <laughs> might take the seat time and time again, but you must not become defeated. Let's do what we can, and two, we can do better. And that's what I did. That's how I became a best-selling author. Because I practiced when everyone was. I did a little bit every single day until I was. I, I, like Muhammad Ali said, I knew I was great before I was great. But because mm. he knew he was great, he... He uh, trained every single day. He ate right every single day. He made sure his mind was right and read books and studied every single day. He just didn't become great. Yeah, he knew he was great, and he acted as he was great, and then he became that. So I think it's the chapter 7 where I said, imagine, create, become. Yes. Those are the three things I have to do to see beyond what I saw. 
I had to imagine physically that my imagination became what became my reality. And when I saw myself as the speaker, as the best-selling author, as the one who was empowering people, saw myself on stages and uplifting people, seeing people being healed and being, you know, uh, uh, coming out of the situation, seeing differences, seeing other best-selling authors, seeing a team of people helping each other, pouring into one another, seeing people in society loving again. When I imagined that, I was able to see what I had created. I had the computer. I had my mind. I had you know, a piece of paper, I knew how to read, I knew how to search on Google, I tell everybody on Periscope that I graduated from Google University with a PhD, <laughs> okay, so I, I realized when I had to create that, and once I choose just what I had right in front of me, guess what, Ed, I became that, now Ed and people are interviewing me all across the world and across the nation, and they're calling me D. Lee, the best-selling author, public speaker, public figure, and a philanthropist. You know, now people are saying what I was to imagine myself that I was, and now I became that. So sometimes you might not see the struggle right in front of you, but I encourage you to imagine, use your imagination. I use different analogies in the book too as well, so you can see past that. If you can see in your dreams while you're sleeping, and you created in your mind that, that porcelain toilet in the woods, when your body and your mind say you had to go to the bathroom, and we can use that same imagination tool in reality to create that opportunity in the woods and do what we can to create that, we too will be at a better place. So my story is this. If I can overcome life's more difficult barriers, you too can overcome. Okay? It's not your environment your, that dictates your success. I'm not saying a bad neighborhood as your environment. No. Their environment might be an empty refrigerator right in front of me. Their environment might be you're on a corner of a, you're on a half of a take of a corner of gas. That does not dictate your success. It's your mind. It's your mind. You want to start a business? It's only $100 to get your license of a corporation. You want to ask 10 people for $10. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. Yeah. It's not impossible. And now you have your business. So when we start looking at that, the possibility, what can I do? I don't have $100 to start my business, but I know I can ask F and dollars I can ask Susan and dollars I can first look, this is what I'm trying to do. Can you give me $10? Yeah, sure, no problem. Now, the other thing... And you have oh, a business. Oh, I just want to say this real quick because we're running out of time. The other thing that, that you're doing now is that you're reaching back and you're you're grabbing the youth and bringing them forward uh, with your free 500 book campaign or, or you want to give away 500 books. Let's talk about that real quick while we still got time so our listeners can go and uh, help you achieve your next goal of giving away 500 copies of the Inmate to Inspiration story. Oh, absolutely, Ed, because I go into these schools, and I don't think it's fair if I ask these kids to give me $10 for a book knowing that they're trying to, to buy lunch for that day, just trying to eat for that day. And so I reached out to the public to say, can you help me help these children? Because the truth is, when I used to see, so does society. And it is our goal to give away 500 books to our students, to seniors, to juniors, to are you there? Oh, we lost her. 
Desiree? Hello? Yes. Okay, we got you. Uh, so yes, I was just asking, I was just telling Sharon with your audience, letting them know the reason why I am doing this campaign, because we want to make sure that we get this book in the hands of our young people. Um, these kids are asking me for this book, and I, I really want to be able to give this book to them for free. So if they can, go to my GoFundMe.com forward slash five. something that I wouldn't do. Um, it's, it's very, very simple. You just pick whatever you want to donate. It's going to ask you for your name, your email address. If you want to go and be anonymous, you can even hide name and comment from everyone but the organizer. Um, that way you know I'm actually on here doing it. Okay. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. I really appreciate that, Ed. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for being on the Double E podcast. I really enjoyed your story. Um, and it's, it's processing, but I haven't got to the second screen yet. So we're going to let you go. I'm going to keep this up until I go ahead and you get this money. Um, God, go out, buy the book, follow her on Periscope. That's where I first saw her. Uh, she could have been Miss America, but they probably have a thing for Fallon thing to fill out too. Okay, but yeah, yeah, I think you're that lovely. So thank you for being on the Double E podcast, and have a great day. Okay. Thank you so much again for having me. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Desiree Lee. Everybody. Boop.